This is exactly right. And just because um, you're not comfortable doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. It just means it's messy. And sometimes you have to allow it to be that way until the pieces can be put back together in a better way. Because a lot of times when things fall apart, it's supposed to fall apart. But we have to allow ourselves to have time to put those pieces back together. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Zen Parenting with our awesome guest, Kathy Adams. Oh my gosh, we are so aligned. I'm so excited to introduce Kathy. Kathy is a self-awareness educator focused on parenting and the personal empowerment of women and young girls. She's a licensed clinical social worker, certified parent coach, certified elementary school teacher, certified yoga teacher, and teaches in the sociology department at Dominican University. She is certified, people. She's the author of The Self-Aware Parent, the Self-Aware Parent 2, and Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting, which won a Nautilus Award, National Indie Excellence Award, and an International Book Award. She has a very, very new book, which is amazing, called Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. For 10 years, she and her husband, Todd, have hosted Zen Parenting Radio, a top 10 kids and family podcast on iTunes, and they're also the creators of the Zen Parenting Conference held in Chicago. Kathy's a sought-after parenting and female empowerment speaker, frequent radio guest, and her work has been featured in many magazines, Parent Magazine, Newsweek, The Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, and so many more. She lives outside of Chicago with her husband and her three daughters. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I'm so excited to be here. And it's so funny, just listening to your intro, I'm like, we are so aligned. So I mean, I've aligned. heard your intro so many times before, but I'm like, yes, I'm so glad we are together. Yes. And I um, I mean, reading your book, which I just finished, the word, I mean, it was, you were speaking to me and... Um, Anyways, I've just been so excited for this conversation for so many reasons. Um, when I got into podcasting six plus years ago, I mean, you guys were already, I mean, the lead, I mean, you really were pioneers in mm. the parenting podcast world. And, and, and I was always so taken with how real you and Todd are mm. and were, you know, you just, or sort of live this Zen parenting thing that we're talking about today. Mm. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. 
I appreciate that very much. And that is kind of the goal is mm -hmm. to, um, I shouldn't say kind of the goal. It is the goal is to walk the walk. And the walk doesn't mean that we're doing everything perfectly. It doesn't mean that we don't have off days. You know, what's kind of fun about podcasting over the course of 11 years is you have certain shows that really just are, you're at the top of your game. Mm -hmm. And then you have shows where it's not just about your content. It's about how you're feeling that mm -hmm. I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. And we, we made a commitment to focus on us and not the issues of our children. This Zen Parenting mm -hmm. Radio has never been about, oh, here's what's going on with my 10-year-old or here's what's going on with my 15-year-old. It's been about what's going on with Todd and I and mm -hmm. how what's going on inside of us is then affecting our parenting. So we've had some doozy shows, um, but <laughs> it's been a journey. And I always tell my girls who are now 19, 17, and 14 that they have like 600 plus episodes of us. So even when we're not here, they yeah. can listen to all the things we've said. They can tune in and learn <laughs> from your, uh, I was going to say wisdom and also your humanity because yeah. that's what you guys really espouse and what your book espouses is, is about the joy and the challenge and the journey of being human. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And the acceptance of that rather than believing that it's some linear path to happiness. Um, you know, the whole idea of Zen, just that word, is looking at reality. What's the reality of the situation? And the reality is that we have a lot of different emotions, that we're always going to have challenges, um, that just as I was saying about the show, some days are better than others. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I think we fight against this as you said, essential humanity, that we just were human beings having a human experience and we believe it should somehow be different. Um, mm. And that's what causes a lot of our suffering. Yes. Um, last night came home after to, from work after a um, just a lot going on with work, stressful day. And I, my wife and I, we sat down and we're um, unwinding from the day. And you know, we started to talk about this duality of how everything matters, seems as it matters so much, and yet the question of does it, right? Like this, this paradox, you know, know, that we live with all the time. I know. We're completely special and we're not special at all. You know, <laughs> totally. we yeah. are a hunt. We are so needed in the world and yet the world goes on without us. And that, that idea of paradox again, which is another mm -hmm. big part of Zen is mm -hmm. being able to hold both of those things as truth mm -hmm. and or truth this, you know, they're both yes. true and, yeah. and being able to find that fluidity between them rather than having to live in the binary of which one's right. They're both mm -hmm. right. We're, mm -hmm. we're very special. And so is everybody else. And, yes. you know, the, our greatest challenges in life can be the greatest experiences that completely change our trajectory. Like all of this is true at the same time. Mm -hmm. So challenging to hold and so important to think about. I did see that that bumper sticker not that long ago, um, that you basically said, and I, it made me smile and laugh out loud. It, it was, you are unique and special. 
just like everyone else. <laughs> exactly. I I feel like that's something I've told my girls throughout their lifetime is finding that, uh, having an understanding of that place is there is literally no one like you. You are a unique human being. You came to this, this world, this earth with this, you know, no one can do what you do. At the same time, everybody's like that. Everybody's bringing something. So this is not about being better than. This is not about a competition of who wins. This is about everybody bringing their unique resources into the world and honoring everybody's differences and respecting yours as well. And aren't we needing to continue to seek mm -hmm. that in our world these days? Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. teach our kids, right? And teach our kids about this. Um, Okay, so many directions to go. I, I'm gonna let's dive into the book and then we'll pan out because I I didn't know what to expect when I was I, I didn't I don't think I had an expectation, but I was trying to find the words. I didn't expect your book to be as it is, which it's so unique in you know having mm. read many 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 parenting books as I know you have. You come at this in such a different way by talking about chakras, talking about Zen, and yet those words, which sound very fancy for many folks, bringing it very down to earth about you, about the adult striving, um, about the parent. And by the way, also let's share this stuff with your kids. It's just the ingredients. And I was, so I'm wondering how purposeful was that and how much did it also just start to flow? Yeah. Well, it's obviously all of the above, but I would say that to your first question about using the chakras, I, I feel like there's so much inherent wisdom that's already out there that's been around much longer than we have um, that we don't either we forget it's there or we use it as sound bites and we don't recognize that there's like a pathway to self-awareness. Um, chakras being one of them. I am not a, a, I don't, I mean, I'm a yoga teacher. I use chakras to understand myself. I use the language of chakras quite often, but I'm not like the, you know, the person who writes books about chakras all the time. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. wanted to use it as a framework and as a structure to better understand ourselves, to use this already existing wisdom as a pathway to get to know ourselves and to not make it so esoteric. You know, when we, we have so much information out there already that we don't know how to allow it to um, impact our lives. Like for example, kind of like off, off of chakras for a second, you know, mm -hmm. I think about, I work at a university and, and I know a lot of academics and there's so much research that's been done that is so amazing and interesting. And it gets put on a shelf because mm -hmm. it becomes too difficult to figure out how to like propose it to the greater community. It's like hard mm -hmm. to access the, the vital components. So it just gets put on a shelf. And I, I sometimes feel like we're, you know, it's just the same as like understanding chakras that we just kind of make it something that other people understand or that other people do or other, other people utilize. And I wanted to make it more accessible, not mm -hmm. necessarily be the, um, you know, the go, the go to, like there's plenty of books out there about chakras, but say, here's, here's some concepts, here's some ideas, here's a gateway so you mm -hmm. can better get to know yourself. So that's kind of why I wanted to use it as a scaffolding. And then to your point, um, 
it, it flows. You know, you start like I actually did the chakra part of the book first where I kind of went through. Here's all of the aspects that make us human. Here's mm-hmm. what helps us understand ourselves, our history and what we want to teach. And like you said, I love it. And by the way, share this with your children along the way. The mm-hmm. beginning, the beginning of the book, the introduction about talking about dignity and talking about sex education and talking about race and inequality and um, all of those things. Those I actually did after because I realized if you're really going to understand yourself, it, you know, truly your history and what you believe and why you teach or do what you do, you mm-hmm. have to you have to wrestle with these things. You have to wrestle with. What do you, what are your thoughts about these things? What have you learned? What have you been taught? What are your deepest beliefs? Because those are going to come up, you know, Mm. your beliefs about inequality are going to come up in your ideas of, you know, how you want to raise your family or what you're going to teach your kids. So I, there are no, it's not like you need to answer all the questions immediately, but like I said, you have to wrestle with these ideas. It can be really messy um, and it's ongoing, but it's going to come up in your family. It's going Mm -hmm. to be something your children are going to ask about. It's going to come up in the news. So I really wanted to challenge parents to at least consider these ideas. And the way you challenge is, um, is very, you know, it's respectful. Um, I know that's just the way you live. It's very respectful and it's very, um, it's you're, you're inviting people to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say for everyone listening, the, the reason um, I am sure this book will resonate with you is that the way Kathy speaks to us in the book is an invitation to explore these aspects of ourself that we all have, yeah, and 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 to tune into them, um, your you know the the tagline for your and Todd's podcast, which you quote um, from Dr. Dan Siegel, which we all admire um, the work that he's done with interpersonal neurobiology and parenting. Um, you basically summed it up: the the best predictor of a child's well being is a parent's self understanding. And I, you know, you, I, this is what you're inviting us all to go on a journey to seek. Exactly. Because I've been, as you do, you know, I've been working with parents forever. And the questions are always around, what do I say to my kid when they ask this? How do I get my kid to do a certain thing? How do I help um, understand what my kid's going through? And the answer always comes through your own self-awareness. Where are you right now? What is your energy when you are asking your child this question? What has your history been with this? And are there reasons you're avoiding certain subjects? You know, yes or no, it doesn't, it's not always the case, but this process of recognizing where you are when you're engaging with your kids and why you are concerned about certain things and not concerned about other things. You know, we're such a mystery. You know, we're Mm. such, we talk about being unique as parents. um, You know, I have three daughters. I, you know, they are all Todd and my daughters. They, we, they grew up in the same home. They all went to the similar schools, you know, the same schools in this area and they're very different people. So my experiences with them, you know, what, what is um, wonderful or concerning about one child is different than another. And I have to c- 
pay attention to what's going on in me so mm-hmm. I can show up for that child rather than try to impose some kind of um, the same kind of parental expectation on every single one of them. Um, There could be similar boundaries and similar structures and similar rules. I'm not saying that we can't have that as a framework, but then when I'm with each kid, what do they need Mm -hmm. and what do I, what can I offer and also pay attention to when I am interacting with that kid? And it sounds, it sounds like a lot of work. Right. Like it sounds like this is a lot of stuff to think about when we're in a situation and um, you being a highly sensitive person, me resonating with that, being a highly sensitive person. um, There's a lot of energy transfer in a situation, particularly we have three kids as well. First of all, between the three different people that what we get triggered of our own stuff, like there's a lot that goes on in an exchange and to process this in real time, how do you how do you go about doing that? How have you learned to cultivate that? Yeah, you know, a lot of the processing is after the conversation is over. You know, <laughs> oftentimes when I'm in the midst of the conversation, I think that the tool that I use most is, and and I'm going to use the term mindfulness, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not meaning it. Again, I want these words to be more accessible than they often are. All I mean is recognizing what's happening right now. So mindfulness is about paying attention to the moment, being in the present, um, just noticing, you know? So recognizing what I'm saying, recognizing maybe that I haven't stopped talking at my child for five minutes and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to stop for a second. I say that to my girls all the time. I'll be like, I'm going to stop for a second. Now let me know, you know, I, to pay attention to what we're doing. And then sometimes when we're done with that conversation, that's when Todd and I, or maybe even by myself or with friends will really think through like, was what I offered helpful? Did it actually connect us in that moment or were they frustrated with me? Mm-hmm. Um, was I sharing my fears? Here's the best predictor of a child's well-being as a parent's uh, self-awareness or self-understanding mm-hmm. is was I really kind of putting all my fears and history and concern on my kid or was I actually being a listener and being curious about what they were saying to me and staying present with them? So again, a lot of the processing happens later, but when I'm with them, just being able to take a breath and and again it doesn't have to be a yogic breath just a mm-hmm. okay i'm going to stop for a second okay having a, another thing that i bring a lot dr dan is humor i mm-hmm. humor is so important with todd and i and with my girls i'm never it's not about humor at their expense i'm not making fun of them that's not mm-hmm. it but having some lightness in the conversation um where i'm like okay you know hold on, I've been talking for 10 minutes. So now it's your turn. Here we go. Like I try and be, I try and bring my personality or my sense of self to a conversation too. And to your point, I know all this can sound difficult as if we're constantly working on something, but Mm -hmm. really being present allows us to have an authentic and genuine conversation with our kids where we Mm -hmm. are not bringing in a lot of history. We aren't bringing in a lot of fears. We are just showing up as we are in that moment, being curious about what they're telling us. But Mm -hmm. it takes, it's a practice of trusting that you don't have to bring a whole system with you every time you talk to your kids. Like just being present with them, the connection that you create changes everything going forward. 
Totally. And it, it that's I was thinking as you're talking about it is a practice. It mm-hmm. is uh, like a practice and it takes practice to be present in our own lives and particularly to be present in with with our kids, especially as they get older and life gets more complicated and the content might be more complicated. And there's so much noise that we inherently bring from our own lives, our own fears, our own experiences. And to that, that's going to happen, right? No matter what, it's how to be aware of that so we can maybe put them aside or just observe them while we are focusing on our child. And as you write um, so eloquently about just the power of listening, right? Mm-hmm. Like just if we could just stop and listen and put all of our other stuff on a shelf and be present. Yeah, I think that there's some memo that we get that we think parenting is about lecturing, that Mm -hmm. we need to like constantly be imposing information on our kids when really we need to rip that memo up and recognize that parenting is really about being present for another human being and that they are going to, (laughs) this is, this can sound really like, um, um, again, this can sound esoteric too, but they come into the world as they are. And our job as parents is to help them grow up to be who they are. And what I mean by that is we are not creating them from the mm-hmm. beginning. We're not like, we, we may be offering information, um, education, value system, but they are who they are. And our mm-hmm. ability to help them be fully themselves, they're you know in alignment with themselves, in their integrity, feeling like they trust who they are, that's our job as parents. So it's not about imposing a bunch of our, our you know, history on them and saying, do this and take this step and do this. It's listening to where they feel themselves going. You know, this is what feels right to me. This is what I'd like to do. Um, you know, I remember starting this when my kids were really little. And again, it can be harder when they're little because there's there's this feeling of that they are so dependent on us. But even small things like telling our young children to choose what feels good for them to wear. What do you want to wear? What feels good for you? Yeah, um, totally. You know, you know, which, you know, and again, parents can, I'm not saying that we tell our kid to choose every single thing, but maybe here's three cups. Which one do you want to right. use? Giving them that sense of they can trust their internal dialogue. They can trust the mm-hmm. feelings that they have sets the stage for them trusting themselves as they go forward. And and again, when they were little, it was that was a practice too. Like, how does this work? Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they just need help going to bed and I need to help with that rather than giving right. them choices. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of fluidity in here too. But mm-hmm. I th- overall, our goal is to help our kids become who they are. And that necessitates more listening than talking. Mm-hmm. So I love what I would always refer to as the Pippi Longstocking um, outfits that the kids would come <laughs> up with, right? For those who remember Pippi Longstocking, I mean, she had was so vibrant, but it was just like, I love how little kids love feeling good in clothes that maybe wouldn't be picked for them by their parents because they don't quite go together, but it's such an amazing expression of self. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad you said that. Um, also, parenting your this this lecturing disciplining so parent at some point became a verb mm-hmm. right like when you look at the literature like 70s all of a sudden like all of a sudden it became a 
a position, a, like an expanded role, and then a lot of doing. And what you're talking about here is less do. I mean, I think we're talking about like less doing and trying to do more being mm -hmm. with our kids as their guide, but not yeah. their supervisor, not their, I don't like, not tied to their outcomes. Exactly. Like, what real? I love that you give that example of that. It's become like a, a verb or a, a doing, because really, what it is is a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. We are trying to create a relationship with somebody, with a human being, so we can better guide them, and they trust us as someone they can go to if they're afraid, if they are concerned about what to do next, if they need guidance in some way, and building that relationship starts really early. Now, for those who feel like, oh, you know, the relationship wasn't really my sole focus and now I have teenagers, you can start today. You can start if your kid's 25. There is no like, it's, you know, it, this is this is always possible. But the mm -hmm. ability to start a relationship, begin a relationship, it begins when they're young. You know, and that, what do we want in a relationship? We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be valued or validated. And that's a hundred percent true with our children. You know, mm -hmm. I, my girls, you know, especially when they were little, they had ideas about things they wanted to do or things they wanted to say or things they believed. And where some of the time they of course needed direction, especially if, if other people were involved and they needed some guidance on, you know, what's appropriate in a situation. But most of the time I just listened and thought, that sounds great. Where'd you come up with that? That's so interesting. I can't wait to see that. We don't need to constantly be telling our kids, you know, what they can and can't do. We instead allow them to share with us what they want to do, who they want to be. Yeah. And that's what builds an intimate relationship is that, that connection and that trust between two people. And it takes a ton of courage yeah. for us as parents to really guide from the side from our kids when our kids are on their own journey, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, it's not, it's not our journey for them. It's their journey. They came into this world with lots of stuff already being expressed, stuff to be expressed, you know, knowings from distance and faraway places or even other lifetimes, depending on what people believe. Absolutely. And, um, it takes a lot of courage to watch the journey because as you write about, you know, we're not going to stop them from having pain. We're not going to stop them from suffering. We're not going to stop from the unexpected of life that keeps happening around us day in and day out. And we have to focus on being our best selves so we can help them become their best selves, whatever that is. Exactly. You know, they, like you said, watching from the sidelines can be some of the most painful things we ever do. I've really appreciated uh, Brene Brown's work around this, mm -hmm. um, which is the ability to sit with our children in the dark rather than turn on the light and try and make everything better. As mm -hmm. a 
continuously recovering people pleaser, which I am, um, I really always want my kids to feel good. And because I can use humor and I, I am typically in a, in a pretty good space or a good mood. And I say typically not all the time, but I have, I feel as if I have the power to, I'm going to put in air quotes, cheer them up. But what Mm -hmm. I've learned is that is not that helpful all the time, that while there can be times that we can support our kids in getting through something in the moment, a lot of the time, it's just recognizing that they are sad and that that's okay and that you'll be with them while they're sad, that they are afraid and that you don't need to talk them out of being afraid. You just understand why they're afraid. You can relate to their experience and sit with them through it. Uh, you know, it's that's kind of the language I always think about is one mm-hmm. of the things I share in my book, Dr. Dan, is how the, the way I envision children, it's like they're walking on a balance beam. And when they're really little, you're obviously holding their hand or maybe even holding, you know, holding on to them in such a way to keep them safe. But as they get older, you're backing away a bit where you're still watching them on the balance beam and you're there, but you have to let them walk across, maybe do a flip, maybe have an experience of falling off. And then you can come in and help them get back up, but then you have to back away again. And this is very, it can feel very scary. And, and, you know, again, raising three daughters who are now teenagers, we've been through a lot of things and it's never comfortable, but Mm -hmm. I think that's something we need to address as well, that parenting is not always comfortable. And just because um, you're not comfortable doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. It just means it's messy. And sometimes you have to allow it to be that way until the pieces can be put back together in a better way. Because a lot of times when things fall apart, it's supposed to fall apart, but we have to allow ourselves to have time to put those pieces back together. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just quoted one of your favorite book titles, uh, When Things Fall Apart. You got Um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Parenting, everyone, as you know, um, is often, I mean, it like for, it's often difficult. And I think as I've, as we've gotten older, my wife and I, and, um, our kids older now between 18 and 22, I find us really relishing in the moments when it's just, wow, like this is a great moment. <laughs> like this is really a great moment, like really appreciating the moments when it's people are jiving, people are connected, you know, there's some, some personal or family victories because at any moment life's going to happen again. And it's just part of it's trying to accept, learning to accept this ride. You know, I actually got back to, um, actually one of our mutual friends, Debbie Rebert, a long time ago, she told me about this journal called the five minute journal. And I picked it up and I used it for a while. Then I stopped. And just recently I decided to get another one. I picked it up again, um, and started using it. And basically it just gives you some prompts so you don't have to do a narrative journal. And, you know, I love the questions it asks because in the morning it says, you know, what are you grateful for? And to start the day with just a few things of you know, this is, I'm grateful that, you know, it's summer now. I'm grateful that my daughter's home from college. I'm grateful that we're all in the same house. But then at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Like what happened today that was good? You know, what, what were some things that you'll remember? And the reason why that has been so impactful using this journal again is my youngest daughter started journaling about a year ago. And what she recognized through journaling is that every day is actually a good day. 
if you're paying attention to, as you said, to these moments that are good, a lot of times we give this generalization to a day like this day sucked or this day was horrible. But if we're really paying attention, oh, there was a really cool moment when we went for a ride in the car, or there was that big win at school when the, you know, the teacher said something about you, or you were able to talk to a friend you haven't talked to in a long time. And there are always good parts to a day. Doesn't mean the whole thing is good, but we sometimes forget those moments you're referring to that it were actually even in the midst of our own challenge and fear um, about raising kids and that we get nervous and anxious about it. I, I feel all of those ways that mm-hmm. in the midst of it, there's these really beautiful moments, but paying attention to them. Again, this is another mindfulness, self-awareness thing. Paying attention to them is what grounds us. It's what Mm -hmm. reminds us that it's obviously all worth it, but it's more than just worth it. This is actually um, enjoyable. There's enjoyable moments. There's beautiful Mm -hmm. times. There's so much Mm -hmm. light in it. Yes. You wrote... You are there to guide and inform, to build connection and offer input. And you also need to let go, trusting that they will find their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and talk about something that takes practice. Like it's so scary the first couple of times. It could be just when you're letting up, you know, when mm-hmm. they start to walk by themselves or when they mm-hmm. go to the bus by themselves or when they start driving. Oh my God, the driving. Um, I have two drivers now and and they're wonderful drivers, but it is scary. You know, it's yeah. it's this feeling. Yeah. But the more we practice letting go and, you know, allowing them, like one thing I learned from my kids is it was all about the way they asked me. If they were nervous about something like, mom, do you think I could do this? Do you think I could? Part of me was like, I don't, I don't know if they think they're ready. But if they came and said, hey, I'm walking to the park with so-and-so and then we're going to go eat and then I'll be home in two hours. I was like, oh, there's a confidence there. Go do it. You know, they mm-hmm. were telling me I'm ready. So mm-hmm. that letting go and allowing them to have experiences can be some of the scariest parts of parenting and some of the most rewarding. Yes. You um, spoke about being a um, pleaser in recovery, and I always talk about being a perfectionist in recovery, Um, and I know those things often can go hand in hand. Um, You wrote about wabi-sabi. Did that pronounce right? Yep, Mm wabi-sabi. That gave me so much calm and peace. So you guys, wabi-sabi talks about the three qualities of life and you wrote everything is impermanent, imperfect and incomplete. And it embraces the understanding that nothing is finished, nothing is perfect and life rarely works out the way we had planned. Man, it was like that was just a like a cool breeze of, of like just a breath of fresh air to if we can really embrace that way of being imperfect, unfinished, uncertain. And that, that, that is, that's the game. Yep. I'm just like you understanding that was such a relief to me talking, talk about toning down my perfectionist attendance, 
you know, tendencies that I had or, or the belief that I wasn't doing it well enough or that there was something I was missing to make things be more streamlined <laughs> or easier. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that it's never supposed to be that way. And we kind of all know that into, you know, inside, but the culture we live in tells us all we need is this one more thing or this one more book or this one more experience and we're going to have it all together um, or this one more job or whatever it may be. And the truth is it's never like that. And that the beauty often comes from the parts that don't work out. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where not only the learning comes, but Mm -hmm. that's also where we have experiences we never could have predicted, that we never could have written, that we never would have even, you know, that's where our dreams surpass anything we could have, you know, could Mm -hmm. have ever envisioned. And there's such a, to me, like a sense of, okay, I can do that. The the wabi-sabi idea, like I can do that because if I can practice showing up for what is, Mm-hmm. And be and and uh, you know have gratitude for for what's happening in front of me and have you know compassion for myself and other people and just kind of go along like that rather than believe there's some goal I need to reach and that if I don't reach that I've failed I can do I can do the wabi sabi thing mm-hmm. um, and and that and I can also accept my humanity in that that I that things do that things can be painful that things are challenging but that's exactly how it's supposed to be. And that mm-hmm. acceptance is refreshing. And like you said, it's a relief. And the idea of impermanence, um, another mm. another connection that I felt with you is um, the acceptance of death mm-hmm. and how important that is. I, for years growing up, had such an intense fear of death um, mm-hmm. and that I couldn't explain it. And, you know, it would come at the quiet times of night. And I mean, it, and it was something I just kept to myself. Um, I thought about it a lot and I read a lot. And this is what you also made me think about. I read so, I read about, you know, the, the Tibetan book of death and dying. I read all these existential novels trying to find this, what is this thing? And these amazing existential novels would just end. And I'd be like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> and it's, and it's like, but that's life, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, there isn't often a crescendo. There isn't this there, there. It's right here, mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I tell us about you, what you think about the acceptance of death and how it enhances life. You just said it right there. Understanding and accepting death is how we are able to live. Because if we don't realize that this is just like, I have a lot of different language for this, you know, we can call it, this is our earth walk, you know, this is our time on earth and we, Mm -hmm. you know, we're here to appreciate it. This is, you know, as everybody says, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is life happening right now. Um, If we have an understanding that this will end then we take the risks. We say the things we need to say. We focus on the relationships we want to have be priority. We actually live. I mean, with a capital L. We often forget, you know, the, the you know, we, we forget. It, it's not that we forget death. We know death is there, but we try not to pay attention to it, thinking that, you know, making sure we get our next, um, you know, our next scheduled work call done is the end all be all when really that's just kind of a small piece of that day. Um, but I, I think 
what happened with me was I was very similar to you in that when I was young, it was very scary to me. I think it is to everybody. It's uncertain. It's unknown. It's unpredictable. All of those things that make us uncomfortable, understandably. Um, But when I was 27, my dad had a heart attack and a stroke. And that night, um, when that happened and it was talk about unpredictable or uncertain, we had no idea. Like it was an out of the blue thing. Um, and that night they told us he was going to die. And I remember my, my sister was pregnant with her second child. My mom was there. I was there and we couldn't believe it yet in that moment we had to start accepting it. They came out and wanted to see if we, you know, had a priest or, or some kind of clergy to come. And then after we had that moment, about 20 minutes later, they came out and said, oh, he made it through. And we had to, he had a very long road back, had to learn how to speak again and and move in certain ways. And he actually lived 17 years after that night, um, but always had chronic health issues going forward. So the reason I'm sharing this is I had to think about death a lot with mm-hmm. the mortality of my dad, because it was always uncertain. I remember at one point they told us the kind of heart surgery he had, usually people could live another five years. So, and again, he lived 17, but I had in my mind, I had to focus on the moment. I had to be present, not only with him, but recognizing my own mortality, how things happen out of the blue. And that has, and now I'm 50 years old. So not only have, you know, I lost my dad, I've lost many other people in my life, people my age, my husband's uh, mom passed away. So this experience with death has just been, you know, um, it's, it's taught me over and over again about I'm here now. How do I want to be? How do I want to relate? Who who is and who is my genuine my genuine self is who I want to be here. I don't want to play a role. I don't want to play a game while I'm doing this. I don't want to have a a connection with people that isn't genuine. And so my goal every day is who am I? What feels good? Is this right for me? Um, you know, what's a what's a you know, a yes for me, what's a no for me and being paying really close attention because this is our time. And, and it becomes so generic when we talk about it this way, where it sounds so like a quote, you know, like it, it sounds so cliche. Um, but there's nothing more true. This right. is, this is our time. Right. Hmm. The time is now. Um, I was talking with the client yesterday about, this client analyzes always like, why did I do that? Why did I think that? Why did I, or what should I, it's a lot of thinking. And the conversation led to how your body has the answers. You know, if we stop and listen and you check into how you feel, how your chest feels, how your stomach feels, how your head feels, you, you get the yeses, the nos, and the maybes with Without even having to check into thought and intellect. Exactly. If we just slow down and listen. Yeah. You know, in the book, you know, we talked about that I wrote about the chakras and that first chakra, you know, that grounding chakra, the we call it the root chakra. It's really about bringing mind and body back together. It's about, we, we really so many of us do walk around like floating heads. We think that everything we need to know is just up in our head and that if we didn't think it or see it, it can't be, or if we didn't come up with it, or if we didn't read it in a book, there's no way it could happen. When really 
everything is very, talk about being, um, you know, unique. There are things that are right and wrong for you that aren't in your mind. They show up in your body. They tell you there's so much internal guidance. There's so many, there's things I thought there's something just recently that came up this week that Todd said, Oh, we have this opportunity to do this. Um, it's some opportunity for the, for travel and my body like shut down. Like mm-hmm. my, there was yeah. zero excitement, zero feeling on paper. Intellectually, it looked amazing. It was such an amazing opportunity. And I'm like, Todd, there is nothing there for me. I, I can, I, it, you know, I know you can show me every reason why we should do this, but my body, I have, it, it's like the best language I can use is it shut down. I just, mm-hmm. it, and it wasn't fear. It was, that's not for you. But no. again, talk about another thing that takes practice, trusting your own body. Because this is why we start learn we learn this or we relearn this, we reparent ourselves. And if we can offer these things to our children at an early age, offer meaning trust your what your body is feeling, or at least Mm -hmm. share or process or consider the feelings in your body. Because sometimes they're fear. And sometimes fear is something we can work through and 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 actually do the thing that's being presented to us. But a lot of times it's a kind of knowledge that nobody else can give us. It's it's so unique to us. It is. And you also write about the role of intuition. And Mm -hmm. so we all, you know, some people are known to be highly intuitive. And those of us who are on the highly sensitive side of the spectrum tend to have a lot of intuition. It's not something that we ordinarily talk about. We ordinarily teach in school. It's like, if you think you know the answer, it doesn't matter unless you can tell us why you know the answer and show us your work. And, and this is something you talk about how important it is to cultivate in our kids that inner knowing that comes, even if you're not sure where it comes from. Exactly. Trusting. And that, that that doesn't always blend with culture and that that's okay. Like, you know, a story that I used to tell a lot, but it kind of lends to this is that, you know, when our kids are very little, I had, especially my first two, I had two kids who, when I'd leave them for a class or maybe with a babysitter, they didn't like it. They didn't want me to leave. They didn't want to be there alone or a birthday party. You know, they wanted me to stay. And that was just their experience. And and at the time, as a parent, as you know, I was frustrated. I wanted that time to myself or I wanted them to do what the other kids were doing. You know, and so there's always part of us that wants to say to them, see what everybody else is doing. Do that. Go be like them. See how other kids can do this, but you can't go be that. The problem with that kind of thing is then when they turn 13 and they do something with their friends that maybe they knew they shouldn't have done or something that went against their value system. And then we say to them, why would you follow your friends? Why would you do whatever they told you to do? Yet we'd been training them when they were little to follow other people instead of their own internal compass. And so we have to we have to have an awareness of this and take some, and this is just not about parenting, but human behavior, responsibility for sometimes the things that we want to you know, cultivate in other people, like be like everybody else but then our expectation simultaneously is you know do what works best for you and and in culture this can be really difficult but i think that the ability to even have this conversation with our kids like one thing i do with my girls and this is a very like you know this isn't a difficult thing and we do this all the time if we go out to eat 
and they can't figure out what they want. I'm mm-hmm. just like, put your hand on your heart, close your eyes, which thing sounds good or feels good. And they'll be like, you know, the ham sandwich. Okay. That's it. Like you don't need to go much deeper now. You right. you do know what you want, but your brain right. is telling you what you should have, what what other people right. are having. So our kids have this ability, especially when they're little, and and they can yeah. have it going forward. But again, to your point, how do we cultivate this and how do we make this acceptable in our home? Mm-hmm. How do we honor right. it? Right. Yeah, we talk about it, right? We talk about it in our own lives. We talk about it with them. Um, this is also making me think of another exercise that I've had several clients do, particularly recently with the college decisions mm. um, in the past few months. You know, where people are like, I- I'm torn, you know, big decision, I'm torn, and I really don't know. And someone told me about this, this, this tool, which is flip the coin. Yeah. One coin is one, one is the other. And when it comes up, are you glad it came up or you're disappointed? Because your feeling will tell you which one you're leaning towards every single time. I love that. My middle daughter does that. That's one of her favorite. She'll be like, I got to do a coin flip because it's not what it, just like you said, it's not what it ends up on. You're not, you're not leaving it to chance. You're recognizing how you feel when you see heads. Yes. Are you relieved or are yes. you like, oh, shoot, there's your yeah. answer. So, yeah, it's a totally. great, great technique. Love that. What was your hope in writing this book for, the, for your readers when you started this? And has it changed now that it's out? Oh, it's a great question. Um, my hope was... I've been a therapist for 20 years. I've been doing this podcast for 11 years. How do I bring together a lot of different ideas and a lot of different concepts and some research and some pop culture all into one place and not make it feel overwhelming? That was my that was my goal. Like that was, you know, if I was to lay out an intention, I wanted to offer something to people who listen to the podcast, my own clients, anybody who is like Okay, I hear all these things you say, but how do I how do I put this all together? That was my goal. What I realized as I was writing it and when I was done, I realized the greatest compliment that I got. And you you gave it to me too. You didn't use this word, but that it was written in a compassionate way. Um, you know, because you said at the beginning, like, you know, it's written in a way that it's just consider these things. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel, talk about body awareness. That's the word that really lit me up when someone be like, oh, this is really compassionate. I'm getting goosebumps now just even when I say it, because that's really all I, that's what I think changes the world is if you recognize, you know, we talk about self-compassion, which is a real research thing, you know, Kristen Neff's research, you know, mm-hmm. being mindful, mm-hmm. you know, being a friend to yourself and recognizing the common humanity of things, um, that practice of self-compassion and then offering compassion to other people, that mm-hmm. changes how we relate to each other, that changes conversation, that changes how we listen, um, that changes how we see the world. So you know, I, I didn't have that word handy when I was mm-hmm. writing it, but that's, mm. that's my hope is that when I hear yeah. that word, compa- I hope that people read the book and think, yeah, I can, I can be compassionate toward myself and others. And I see how that makes a difference. Yes. And that's exactly, um, 
that's is was my experience it um it will be everyone else's experience when you read it um you also the other word i think about is dignity mm-hmm. um it's something you start the book with talking about the importance of dignity and um treating humans with dignity and all humans deserve dignity and and that's the voice that you um write and speak with Oh, well, thank you. Well, and I always consider that, I mean, that is my human voice, my voice of humanity, but very much my social work voice mm-hmm. is I'm a clinical social worker. That's my training. Everything is about dignity, the human rights and dignity and being able to, you know, respect, honor relationship, honor connection. Like that is not only is that my belief system, just, you know, how I came into the world, but also so much of my training is we take care of each other. That's how we get through and um, believing that we're all in this doing things by ourselves and we aren't being impacted by others is such a misunderstanding. We are always impacted by other people and, and other people are who help us get through things. You know, that's how we heal is through relationship. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Kathy, thank you so much for this conversation. so much more to talk about, uh, which I hope we have an opportunity to do again. Um, just so grateful for your work, your your over decade, your and Todd's decade um, on the podcast, and all the people you're touching um, with your work and your latest book. Oh, thank you, Dr. Dan. I'm so happy I got to be here. And I know we will talk again because I think you're going to be on my podcast coming up. There's soon. a rumor. I'm excited. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Yes. Tell everyone where they can find the podcast, if there's another conference in the works as we're coming out, of, you know, all this, the book, everything that's coming up. I will. So, Everything can be found at zenparentingradio.com. That's really nice to have one place to go. Um, But at zenparentingradio.com, you can find our podcast. You can find, I have something called a Zen Parenting Moment that goes out every Friday. So I write something, you know, it's like a conversation like you and I are having about just an idea to consider that goes out every Friday and they can find that on the website. They can, you know, subscribe to that. The conference or this year we did a virtual summit. We've typically done live conferences. This year we did a virtual summit just because COVID was still, everything was so unpredictable as it continues to be. Um, So we're still thinking and working on that. Summer is usually when we start to make decisions, so we'll know soon. Um, But we also have a virtual community called Team Zen. Um, And again, I think the the newest thing I have to offer is the book. So Zen Parenting, um, the book, and it's at, it's everywhere, you know, Amazon, but it's every bookstore and everything. Yes, uh, everyone can't give you a stronger recommendation uh, for this book. It uh, it expanded it expanded me, and uh, I'm still sitting with uh, the words and the lessons in there. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes our show. Um, we are expanded, we are enlightened, we are human, and we are living another day. And all we can do is make the most of these moments and these days. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for sharing this show with everyone and everyone you think will benefit. Remember, you and your children are unique and special, just like everyone else. Do your best to be the person you want your child to become. 
and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.